0: In the early 1800s, one of the newspapers in Wilkes-Barre published an obituary for Jacob Sist, who died at his home on the 30th of December, 1825, at the age of 44. The obituary reads, In the death of Mr. Sist, society has lost one of its most valuable members. Science, one of its most ornamental and industrial cultivators, and the cause of public and internal improvements one of its most able and zealous supporters. Modest and unassuming in his manners, he sought no political preferment, was ambitious of no public distinction, but, like a true lover of science, sought her in the quiet paths of peace. His researches into the geological structure and formation of our portion of the country, and particularly into the anthracite coal regions of Pennsylvania, have been extensive and indefatigable. And while they have contributed to enrich the cabinets of many scientific men, both in this country and in Europe, with mineralogical specimens, they have also been a means of calling the attention of our citizens to those vast mines of combustible treasures with which our mountains abound, and which we trust will be the means, under providence, of giving employment to thousands of industrious men and prosperity and wealth to our country. Surrounded by an extensive circle of friends to whom his work was best known, his death is to them an irreparable loss. Blessed with an amiable family and flattering prospects of a long and useful existence, his loss is another assurance, impressive, deep, and sorrowful, that in the midst of life, we are in death. That was an obituary for Jacob Sist from the Harvey book, giving the genealogy of certain family branches prepared by Oscar Jewel Harvey in 1899. Even in 2022, the life and work of Jacob Sist can be seen as remarkable, and the Luzerne County Historical Society invites us to encounter the many aspects and talents of this early 19th century remarkable human being. We had a visit with the Historical Society board members Sherry Emershaw, Vice President, and Adam Thallenfeld, who were eager to introduce us to Jacob Sist and his many accomplishments in connection with the current exhibition titled The Artwork of Jacob Sist, Window into a Renaissance Man at the Luzerne County Historical Society Museum through the end of the year. Jacobs, this is a hidden gem, and when I first heard
1: about this exhibit, I was thrilled because I have a special interest in him, because I read a lot about local history, and he just kept cropping up in my readings. Who's this guy? You know, I didn't, I had no idea we had items in our collection, and a lot of these items are the first time we're ever going to see them to the public, Mm -hmm. which is thrilling, and we have on loan a wonderful book of his from a descendant who lives locally. And looking at his artwork in that book just was so, that just brought it all together for me. I could just, he was like there, you know, like this person I used to read a lot about, had a little interest in, oh my gosh, this is, no one has ever seen this book. It's a private collection. We sometimes use cliches, but he's a Renaissance person. He, he, absolutely. And if he had lived long enough. I, I consider him a Ben Franklin. He was curious about everything. Mm-hmm. He did his own experiments, like Franklin. He was an inventor.
2: He has his own fossils named after, his own group of fossils named after him.
1: So not only from a standpoint of just an interest, but he took a scientific approach Mm. to all of this. And so from an educated standpoint, he knew what he was talking about. Businessman, entrepreneur, writer, poet, investor, postmaster general. (laughs) He was a merchant. His interests were painting, drawing, geography,
2: mineralogy,
1: architecture. Entomology, fossil study, and a study of fauna and flora. Everything. Was he born here, Adam?
2: He's not. He's from Philadelphia, but he moved here at a pretty young age mm-hmm. when he was appointed the postmaster and then moved to Wilkesbury, where at that time Wilkesbury was the only post office and he was pretty much solely responsible for building out Pittston, Dallas. Most of those grand right. buildings are because of his doing.
1: Well, how he got started in the post office, he was born in Philadelphia in 1782. And his father had a printing shop, and he worked in the printing shop. But then his father set up a shop in Washington City, a.k.a. Washington, D.C., in the early 1800s. It was short-lived because of a change of administration. So now you're talking Thomas Jefferson is the new president, John Adams is out. So now he had to close that shop. Politics, who knows, whatever got involved. But Jacob, I guess, apparently really liked living in Washington City. So what he did, he applied to the United States Postal Service in Washington City, and he got the job as a clerk. When he married in 1807, Sarah Hollenbeck. That's the key, oh. Sarah Hollenbeck. And one thing, I don't know how he met her. That's the odd thing. Uh, all the things I read about her, I don't know. How, how did he meet her? Well, they married, and then he moved here, and they liked him so much in the post office that they gave him the postmaster of Wooksbury. And that's how we got it. And he had that commission for life. He had that commission for life. And as a matter of fact, in that exhibit, we have his commission. It's it's mm-hmm. there, the original commission we have in our collection. But he went in partnership with, with his father-in-law, Matthias Holmbeck, who was a merchant. And they set up their store on River Street in wilkes And the store, and then attached to it, was the post office. So that's how he got involved with the post office.
0: When we talk about an exhibition, just set the scene for us because the Luzerne County Historical Society is not just one building.
2: Correct. So we have a library, a research library, and a museum both in downtown Wilkes-Barre right next to the Westmoreland Club. We also own the Denison House and the Sweatland House in Fort and Wyoming. Yeah. So we own the Sweatland yeah. House and the Denison House, which are you know historic homes in the area.
0: Now, why is he, besides being someone who helped expand the mail delivery in the region and also was able to service the region with the store with his father-in-law and things like that, what's important about him for us? He is best known for his interest in marketing
1: coal. The early anthracite industry, and of course we all know how valuable that was to this area, it put us on the map. So his interest in coal began early. His father was Charles Sist, and his uncle was Jacob Weiss. And they had leases with the Lehigh Coal Company located near Machchunk. They were investors there. So I think Jacob from a very early age, he listened to a lot of conversation, he was privy to a lot right. of information. And uh, marrying into the local elite, Matthias Hollenbach had a lot to do with it, too, because Matthias Hollenbach was one of the wealthiest men at the time of Wyoming Valley, large landowner, and much of his land was coalfields. So he was in a very key position, and he, he knew for Philadelphia a lot of the elite in Philadelphia, because Philadelphia was your biggest port, and he was determined to get that coal to the Philadelphia port. Now, how they shipped coal early on was through horse streams over the mountains, 135 miles. It took a long time. It was grueling. There was very little roads. So how do you get it quicker? Well, an arc. It's a low, flat-bottom boat. It's about 4 feet deep, 15, 20 feet wide. And of course, it could be up to 100 feet long. And they were manned by oarsmen. So they would be able to ship a commodity such as grain from Wyoming Valley, lumber from Wyoming Valley, and coal. So this was the first act of trying to speed up the process to get it to Philadelphia. And his father failed, and his uncle failed at that business. But a little bit down the future, he takes up the leases. And what happens? The War of 1812. That was the big one, the War of 1812, because all coal that we got, believe it or not, at that time, was from England. England, it was cheaper to get from England and Virginia. They blockaded the Chesapeake Bay, they blockaded the Delaware River, so we're not getting any coal. And of course, you got an industrial complex now coming up because of the war. So Jacob decides to take advantage of new leases at that same company out of Machchunk, which would be the Lehigh River. And unfortunately, calculating the loads for these arcs, and I said the other problems they had, poor oarsmanship, or if the water table was low, some crashed on rocks, he wasn't getting it to market. And there was already a thriving demand, because Jesse Fell, the famous a man from Looksbury, who had that grate and to burn coal in a home, had invented it in 1808. So here you are during the War of 1812. I mean, it was a win-win situation, but we couldn't get the coal fast enough. So by the time he figured out a better way to calculate the weight and some luck with the water tables and the oarsmen, the war was over. And he lost a lot of money in that venture, a lot of money. But to the day he died, He never ceased trying to get that coal to market, and I read a little thing about his one daughter, because he had five daughters, and she wrote about him, and it was such a touching little thing I read. She remembers seeing her dad in his study at the house, and she said, "Uh, Father, what are you doing? And he was always surrounded by his books, and and he goes, well, my child, I am devising a way for the railroad to ship coal over the mountains. So... Until he died in 1823, this was like 1822 that she remembers that, he never ceased trying to get coal to market. And there is a quote, because you're wondering, well, okay, why did he care about coal? And he studied it, he mapped it, he visited the mines. But I found this quote, and I thought it was very interesting. And here's how he was described. Young, ambitious, and a clever entrepreneur who devoted his energies to the fostering of the Pennsylvania anthracite trade in order to supply the city of Philadelphia with fuel at a handsome profit <laughs> so there you go he was an entrepreneur he was a pure capitalist he not only saw the need to help and benefit where he lived the community but he could make himself and a lot of people money.
2: Jacob Siss is really a incredibly curious man to learn about seeing his botany drawings and yeah. his architecture I mean none of the houses exist anymore that he designed but mm-hmm. I believe he designed his own house and several other buildings yeah. in in Wilkesbury, and he just designed them himself as a mm-hmm. little side job. So you know that's incredibly cool. He has all these portraits, self-portraits, uh, a few mm-hmm. of his wife, and maybe some of his children.
1: I know he has his mother-in-law, mother-in-law Mrs. Hollenbach, is, is there. I don't know the the uh, identity of some of them, but I do think the one that they have young men, I I, I think it's him. It's a beautiful classical. Federalist period portraits where the men had that tousled hair with that beautiful ascot and the high collar and they do that side portrait and they're miniatures, mainly miniatures. They're beautifully done mm-hmm. and probably one of the few likenesses I think of Mrs. Hollenbach that we have. He's done some self-portraits which we do feature a self-portrait of him. He did oil, he did watercolor. I, I think his first love of, of foremost was art. Mm-hmm. He does studies of anatomy, human anatomy. He does a wonderful sketch. And these sketches are so detailed of a skeleton. And all the bones are identified mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. number. And then the one I, next to the just the skeleton is a skeleton leaning on a table. And, <laughs> And looking at a skull. (laughs) I thought it was a little bit of humor in that one. And one thing that, one painting that really struck me out, I don't know if you noticed it, Adam, it looks like something out of the late 1800s or the 20th century. It is an impressionist Mm -hmm. painting. It is so odd to see that painting. It's a watercolor Mm -hmm. in that time period. You're talking like the early 1800s. He was so much ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. He just was curious about everything and just wanted to learn about everything. And again, even inventing, how he, uh, I truly believe he, he, first and foremost, he was an artist. One of his inventions, when back then you had to get your pigments from minerals for your paints, for your palette. And you would have to grind it. And they had these painter's mills. And he didn't like the one that he could find. Like, he did, could not find the one he liked. Well, what did he do? He invented one and he patented it. He patented uh, a painter's mill. He also patented a coal-burning stove. So he wanted to find something that could accommodate what he liked. He designed it, he made it, and he patented it.
0: Do we know anything about education? Did he yes. have formal education? Yes.
1: He was public school educated, because I said he was from Philadelphia. And, and in, until 1794, at the age of 12, his father shipped him off to boarding school. It was a boys' boarding school in Nazareth, run by the Moravians. So there he got a classical, like a family of means would give their, their son a classic education. So there he studied languages, Greek Latin, German, French, mathematics, (laughs) geography, writing. And as I had mentioned, I I may have mentioned before, he was trained in art by the French drawing master M.A. Benade. And he became very skilled at art and especially capturing an image. And he really was taken while he was there with geography, manufacture and illustration were really key interests of what he And it showed in his profession. And then, as I had said earlier, once he left there, he went to his father's business. He joined him as a partner, and then they moved. He opened that place in Washington, and that's how he became eventually the postmaster. So that was his training.
0: Any fossils there that were named by him, or any pieces of coal or (laughs) things like that? There is one there.
2: There there is some coal that we have, yes. There,
1: There is one fossil attributed to it. What he would do is, when he would go out to the coal fields, a lot of plants are fossilized in, mm-hmm. in coal, and he would study them. And he was, he was privy to being able to acquire this because of his knowledge. And he would, like I said, he would go to these different mines. He would survey them. He would map them out, the geography of them. So he would actually gather fossils. He had an opportunity to get these from the anthracite fossils. And as I said before, he didn't just collect them. He studied them. He wrote papers about mm-hmm. them. His, his yeah.
2: drawings seem like they had come out of a, an old textbook almost. Yeah. The anatomical drawings look like old science textbooks yeah. that he and just has around. In absolutely.
1: His house. And he, he was very trained, very skilled. One of the things I love when I look at the uh, gallery are the insects. Now, he did that for a purpose. He was an amateur entomologist, and he would paint them, these beautiful, detailed watercolors. He documented all the insects of Wyoming Valley. He documented all the insects. He would write papers to scientific journals. And he would paint them. And when you look at them, they are so detailed. Because you're going to recognize the familiar common insects. And when I had a meeting uh, on Wednesday, one of the books that is on loan is from a private uh, descendant of his. And as I said, when I opened that book up, I couldn't believe the detail of these paintings of plants and mostly insects. They're absolutely gorgeous. They're just beautiful. You could frame them. They're works of art. I mean, they're just so detailed. But that's that classical training that he got when he was at
0: that uh, school, that Nazareth School for Boys. Now, you mentioned the backs, and you mentioned designing his house. Where in Wilkes-Barre did he live? He what would have he- lived,
1: originally he lived when he first moved back to the area when he married Sarah. They lived on Mill Creek. That would be near the Wooksbury General Hospital, that vicinity. Then they moved to a home on River Street near the store. And, of course, Matthias lived there, and he was closer to the store. That's where they lived.
2: 44 South River Street. That was yeah. where the store was. Yes.
1: And to this day, they still have a lasting, people know the name Hollenbach, You know, the golf course, the, the cemetery, cemetery is the most famous. They donated a lot of land. And, as I said, Matthias, who was one of the early settlers, became one of the richest men upon his demise in the valley, in the area, landowner, and he was very, very, very wealthy. So he married into the right family, like an elite (laughs) family. And I think that helped him too. He had all the connections because of that family. And let's face it, I'm sure Mr. Hollenbeck thought he was wonderful. What a smart young man, what an enterprising young man. My daughter is so fortunate to have him for a husband. He would have not partnered with him uh, if he didn't feel, he he could mm-hmm. do the job. So he readily became partner. It was Hollenbeck and Sis was the name of the store where I said the post office was attached.
0: Did anybody write biographical essay or biography? or?
1: I've never read his biography, but I believe there is a biography. I don't believe it's in print now. I do know I came across books about the coal, a lot of coal, and one of them, of course, was the War of 1812 and what that caused a fuel crisis here in America. An enterprising young man right. that he yeah. is, you know, and... He decides, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in and involved in this. But he took it from a scientific view because he knew its potential. He was a visionary, let's put it that way. That's the word I'm looking for. He was a visionary. He knew its potential, and we all know the result of the anthracite industry here during the Industrial Revolution. I mean, we built America. We really did. The coal, that fueled and it helped make the steel. And it's funny because I came across this little thing about him. He, he was kind of an enigma in the valley at the time. And most of the people said, oh, you're just wasting time with your black rocks and your bugs. People like the locals would say that. And now we look at him as a man of vision. We look at him as a man of vision and ahead of his time. But at the time, they thought, oh, there's, you know, he probably always had his nose in a book. Yeah, probably always sketching. And where he found the spare time, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea where this band found the spare time to do what he did. I really don't.
0: How long will the exhibit be running?
2: The um, exhibit, we don't have an exact close date, but it'll be up at least at the end of the year. And yeah. then typically what we do is rotate. So we'll rotate one exhibit out and then Jacob Sist might stay a little bit on display another area of the museum, perhaps.
1: And one of the features of our collection that I would like to mention is a self-portrait of him. He did, as I said, watercolor, he did charcoal, he did pen and ink drawings. But this is his his self-portrait. And as I had said before, I truly believe his whole heart was as an artist. Because when you look at this portrait of him, he's looking out to you. And behind him are his books, his library. But he's holding his painter's brush and his painter's palette. So I think his true love, as I said before... He, he was truly an artist, mm-hmm. and he was able to all of his skills, his knowledge, a lot of it he was able to bring forth through art and be it a sketch of a coal mine. Abijaya's coal mine in Plymouth is one of the earliest sketches of a early coal mine here in Wyoming Valley. We know what it looked like because of his detailed sketch or designing the stove, the the coal burning stove or just studying the position of a human hand. We have sketches of a hand or the bodies of people. He just, I think he was a doodler. He probably constantly (laughs) doodled. I picture him in that post office before, you know, maybe he had a little free time before (laughs) a customer came in and I picture the man sketching on paper or painting or doing something. That's that's how I picture him. But uh, one thing I do like to say, I believe CIS represented the beginning of the American capitalist, capitalism. Early nation, new nation, he saw its potential by combining theoretical knowledge, practical skills, being an inventor, salesman, visionary, and a risk taker. And many more were to
0: follow in his footsteps later on. And tell us, if we're curious and we want to know something about the history of the Wyoming Valley, are we able to use the Bishop Memorial Library? Is that something that's open to the public?
2: It is open to the public. Uh, You can make an appointment to meet with one of our librarians who can help you do research. So you can come in if you're curious about your family. You can come in and research your own family. you know, go back as far as they've lived here, as far as we have information on them. Uh, you can look up Jacob Sist. You could look up the <laughs> Hollenbach family. So yeah, you can make an appointment at the library for any day of the week and do research on your own, do research with a librarian. That place is full of records so it you can records. get as much information as you want on a lot of And
1: topics. any subject you want, be it a history, in our archives, we have so much in our archives that they could pull out for you and loan you at the library as a source of what you're doing, perhaps a paper, a book hopefully a book, the history of the area. So the library is a great source. Uh, we really serve the community very well, mm-hmm. we really do.
0: Sherry Emershaw, Vice President, and Adam Thallenfeld, each one a board member of the Luzerne County Historical Society, speaking with us about Jacob Sist and his many accomplishments. In connection with the current exhibition at the Society Museum, The artwork of Jacob Sist, Window into a Renaissance Man. As we heard, the show will run through the end of the year at the Luzerne County Historical Society Museum. That's South Franklin Street in downtown Wilkes-Barre. And for more information on the web, LuzerneHistory.org, LuzerneHistory.org. It's Jacob Sist, someone who was eminent in so many ways in his day, and he is being celebrated at the Luzerne County Historical Society Museum through the end of the year. In the exhibition titled, The Artwork of Jacob Sist, Window into a Renaissance Man. And the Historical Society main building is 49 South Franklin Street in downtown wilkes barre And for more information, luzernehistory.org. And the Luzerne County Historical Society has announced the annual downtown Wilkes-Barre Ghost Walks will be returning this year. The tours will run October 21st and 22nd, and there are rain dates the following weekend. And you're invited to take a walking tour of downtown and its historic district, and you'll learn about totally true ghosts, of course, murders and hidden graveyards, all right there in the Diamond City. The stops include Public Square, also the site of the former Sterling Hotel and the site of the first known execution in Wilkes-Barre. And you're invited to join the Society's own Dr. William V. Lewis, and he'll take you on a trip through the darker side of the city from the mid-1700s right through the 20th century. And the tours will start in front of St. Stephen's Church on South Franklin Street at 6.30 and last approximately two hours. Tours set off every 15 minutes, There will be six tours per night, and tours are limited to the first 40 reservations only, and there will be no tickets sold at the door. So let's give you the website for those details if you're interested in taking part in that walk. LuzerneHistory.org, LuzerneHistory.org.